certain come along and um, join in the time of fellowship as well. Now, I wonder if we could turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3 for another scripture reading. The book of Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 of the chapter. Genesis chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We made of the fruits of the tree, uh, uh, trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the, one, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and she, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me with me, uh, to, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we'll end our reading there, knowing that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's uh, seek the face of the Lord afresh. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to thee at the end of our meeting again. We come to look for thy help, uh, for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst direct our steps, open our eyes, and we pray that we might see wondrous things out of thy law. Be with us now, we'd ask of thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible is the most important book that has ever been written. It's an eyewitness account of the historical events that impinge upon the history of redemption uh, it, they are the events that have shaped the world. They are, they are the concepts 
that have shaped Western society as it is today, and a good deal of the Eastern world as well, and all of our world in which we live would be completely different if it was not for this book that we have in front of us. It is foundational, and we have in it everything that mankind needs to know in order to find salvation and in order to live as God would have us to live. But we can say that this is more than a revelation of history, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, because the very center and the very subject of this book is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the prophecies, in the Old Testament, Christ is prophesied. In the Gospels, Christ is revealed. In the book of Acts, Christ is preached. In the epistles, Christ is unfolded. And in the book of Revelation, Christ is magnified. So here is a book that speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is that we're not surprised that the Bible is something that should be central in the lives of every child of God. We, Martin Luther, the reformer, said, What pastures are to the beast and nests to the birds, the stream for fish, the scriptures are for believing souls. And in his own inimitable fashion, he speaks of how the Bible is something that we can't live without if we are God's people. And the reformers, of course, were unanimous that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. They uh, 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 reestablished the doctrine of sola scripture, sola scriptura, and that is the Bible alone is our rule of faith and practice. So it is important then that we read the Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I quote, reading through the Scripture is a very important practice for the believer. By doing so, we are exposing ourselves to God's Word, which in turn provides us all things that pertain to life and godliness. As we read through it, it ought to be read with a holy appetite, desiring to know more about our Lord, What about reading the Old Testament? We should be considering how it points to the Lord Jesus Christ because the scriptures are about him. And yet, it is one of the things that God's people struggle with. We struggle with the scriptures. We struggle with the Bible. And we struggle on many different levels. We struggle to have time or maybe even the inclination to read the Word of God and to study what it has to say. Many Christians uh, are those that maybe even struggle with the authority of God's Word or even with the inspiration of God's Word. And we certainly struggle with putting God's Word into practice. We are not obedient to what the Word of God has to say. And here in Genesis chapter 3, we see a very... Uh, early attack upon the word of God. Here is man, he's just been created, he's in the Garden of Eden, and he is not long there before the devil comes to undermine the word of God and seeks in in subtlety to try and divert men and women, uh, man and woman as it was then, away from the word of God. And it has still and ever been the tactics 
of the devil to try and undermine the word of God, either for our reading of it or our adherence to it, or to try and uh, undermine the authority that it has upon our lives. And so one of the things that we struggle with is God's truth, the Bible. And I want us just to think about that for a few minutes today in our meeting. And first of all, then, we might struggle with our inclination for the Word of God. Uh, And I think that there's some indication of that here in the portion of Scripture that we read in Genesis 3. We read how the devil came to Eve and he said, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And she wasn't able to contradict that, really. And maybe that's an indication of the fact that she hadn't really paid attention to what God had said to her in the first place. And I wonder today if we been paying attention to what God has to say in his word. Have we an inclination to read the word of God? Have we a desire within our hearts? Is it important to us to take down the word of God day by day and read what it has to say? We have an inclination, a desire maybe to read Facebook or Instagram or maybe sometimes we look at websites, maybe even Christian websites, or maybe we have TV programs that we uh, are, would not miss in any way. And yet somehow we find ourselves too busy to read the Word of God, or we're too tired to read the Word of God. Now, if that's your problem, you're not alone. Because I would say that there are many of God's people who are the same. Sadly, it is that we are the same. But why is it that we have a problem with the Word of God? Why is it that we are not inclined to take down the Word of God? Well, one reason that will mar our desire for the Word of God is personal sin. D.L. Moody famously said that the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And there is the sanctifying power of the Word of God that will mean that sin is dealt with in your heart. And if we have no desire for the Word of God, it's often an indication that we need to look at ourselves. Maybe there's a coldness there. Maybe there's some uh, harboring of sin within our hearts. The Lord Jesus prayed of his people, sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. And perhaps the biggest hindrance to the reading of God's word is besetting sin. And we think of the psalmist who said, Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And if we want to hold on to sin, one of the things that we'll avoid is the word of God, because we can't have the two things. If we're holding on to sin, then our desires for the word of God are going to diminish. So the first thing that we need to make sure of is that we deal with personal sin in our hearts because that will mar our desires after the Word of God. The second thing will mar our inclination for the Word of God is personal weakness. Now, maybe sometime you've been sick. Maybe you've been sick over the last little while. Maybe you've had a dose of COVID or a flu and uh, you've little desire for anything, never mind the Word of God. 
and, of course, that natural sickness, but also sometimes other weaknesses that we have. Maybe uh, there's chronic pain or exhaustion or whatever it is, and we have all of those circumstances. And it's natural then, maybe to no, no desire for the Word of God. And, of course, there are people in hospital that just can't read the, the Word of God, and we understand that. But I want to underline the fact that in all normal circumstances, and even when we're weak and when we're tired and when we're exhausted, we should make the effort to read the Word of God. We're told in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 19 about the Word of God, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep his wor the words of this law and these statutes to do them. You'll notice what it says that we are to read therein all the days of our lives. All the days. We're not to miss out. In Deuteronomy 17 and 19, it speaks about consistency. And then we read in Matthew 4 and 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we'll weaken ourselves, and we will uh, begin to go down spiritually if we don't feed upon the word of God. But I wonder if that's your problem today, even an inclination for the word of God. We need to pray that God will give us that inclination for his truth. But then another thing that we might struggle with, and that's ignorance of the word of God. Again, Eve was led astray here because of her ignorance of what God had said. She hadn't listened properly to what God had said to her. And when the devil came and began to twist the word of God, um, she began to listen to what he had to say. She wasn't able to contradict what the devil was saying and his twisting of the word because of her ignorance of the word of God. Now, many of God's people, I think, we have to say, I think we have to say of all of us, because we never get to the bottom of the depths of God's precious word. But we are, in many ways, ignorant. And I would say that in this day and generation, we're more ignorant than maybe previous generations. Uh, other generations, the people took down the word of God and studied the word of God and had a deep appreciation of the word of God. But of course, there are many things about the Bible that are hard. It's a large book. It's uh, 40 authors, 66 books, uh, written over 1,600 years and three different languages. And so, in all of that, there are many things that would make it hard. We have many different uh, varieties of kinds of books we have books of poetry. One minute you may be reading poetry and the next you're reading prose. Maybe you're going into a prophetical book and then into a historical book. And there are a lot of metaphors and pictures and things like that. And it was written with a different culture and different language. And so we're not surprised that at times there are things that are hard to be understood. And we sometimes come to the word of God even taking all that into account, and the Word of God is dry. And maybe you've found that at times, you've, maybe you've come 
with an inclination for God's word, and you've read a passage, and nothing really has stood out to you, and you've just felt that it is dry. We know. We know in our hearts that the Bible is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is living, and the Word of God is powerful. And yet maybe at times we come to the Word of God, and to us it, fe- it feels dry, and we're not getting what we thought we ought to out of the Word of God. What do we do when that happens? When we just maybe just can't grasp what's there, or when it just seems dry? And we know that every portion of the Word of God, even the early chapters of the book of Chronicles, you get a long list. Um, If you took time to study it and look at the names and the genealogies, there are great lessons there. But, But you come to the early chapters of Chronicles and you get a long list and you're reading through the long list of names and you think to yourself, well, what's all this about? What do we do when that happens? Well, the first thing that we need to do is pray. We need to ask the author of the book because what's better than asking, if we don't understand what somebody has written, what do we do? We go and ask them, what does this mean? What are you getting at there? And we know that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto them. We need to be saved first of all. But then the Lord has given us this resource, the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So we need to ask the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit to shine the light of his uh, wisdom upon the word of God. And we think of the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 34. He prayed to God, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I will observe with my whole heart. So that's the first thing when we feel that the Bible's dry or we're not just understanding. First of all, pray. Pray for enlightenment. Next thing to do is take your time. The modern reading um, with the internet and so on, technology and social media, uh, it doesn't encourage careful reading. And we get to the point where maybe we just skim down through things. I'm as guilty of that as anybody else, maybe more guilty. But we need to take time with reading the Word of God. We need to learn simple techniques like asking questions of what has been said or looking for repeated words in the text or phrases that uh, stand out for us. But we need to take time with the Word of God. And then we need a knowledge of Bible background. There's nothing like a knowledge of the history or the customs of the Bible. That will give you a a large insight into what has been said. If you come to the Bible and you don't understand uh, the Old Testament law and ceremonies, a lot of what the Bible says is going to be a complete mystery to you. We think of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, and we was reading the prophecy of Isaiah. And Philip came along and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch said to him, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other? And we think of how Philip came and opened the scriptures to him and preached to him Christ. 
because Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies there. He was reading in Isaiah 53. But if we have a knowledge of the prophecies or a knowledge of Bible background, where the cities are in relation to one another, what the country was like, the mountains and so on, or um, what, what was happening in those days, the, the, the ceremonies of the Jewish religion, all of those things will help you to understand the hard passages. But if there anything is valuable, or if anything is worthwhile, uh, then it's worth putting an effort into it. And that's what we need to do at the end of the day. We need to put the effort in. So we can struggle with our ignorance of the Bible. Then we might struggle with the infallibility of the Bible. Now there's an implication here in the portion of Scripture. Um, We think of how uh, the devil had been deceiving Adam and Eve. And he said to them, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And there's the devil imputing the word of God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I'm sure you've often heard that the word inspiration in the Greek literally just means God breathe. Theonustos, it means just literally God breathed. And we think of how the Bible is the God-breathed word of God. But you think of how the devil came and he contradicted the word of God. Ye shall not surely die, he said. God said, in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. The devil said, no, you'll not die. We, um, you don't need to listen to the word of God. You don't need to hear what the Bible has to say. And you know, there has been an attack upon the inspiration and the inerrancy of the Word of God. In the 1960s, many evangelical scholars began to depart from the historic trustworthiness of the Scriptures. In 1976, Harl Linsell wrote a very famous book, The Battle for the Bible, in which he set out how that many uh, scholars and churches were departing from their adherence to a belief that the Bible is the inspired and it is the inerrant word of God. He wrote another book in 1979, The Bible in the Balance, and he gave the case for the classical doctrine of Scripture. But many churches, particularly the Southern Baptists in America, uh, began to, uh, were in controversy over the between progressives and uh, conservatives over this very issue of the infallibility and inerrancy of the Bible. Here in uh, Northern Ireland and Ireland as a whole, there was Professor Davy, and he was teaching in the Presbyterian College against the um, inerrancy of the Word of God and said it was a wrong doctrine. That began to infiltrate into the pulpits And many began even to take what was being said in the pulpits and their confidence in the truth of the word of God was uh, being undermined. But you know, it's not just that um, blatant attack upon the word of God. But you know, we can 
just as somebody can be a functional atheist, they maybe not say, I'm an atheist, but they live like they're an atheist. And so it is with the doctrine of inerrancy. We might, we might say, oh, I believe in the Word of God, and I uh, adhere to the Word of God. And yet, maybe at times, we do things or believe things that are not compatible with what we say we believe. You know, we can say, well, the uh, world was not created in six days, or we can say that uh, there are contradictions in the Word of God, or that there are things historically wrong in the Word of God. We, we can be influenced by the apostasy of this day and generation. But this is the Word of God. It, it professes that it is the God-breathed Word. The Lord Jesus said, Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, not one yod or yota. That, that is the smallest, yod is the smallest letter. It's like a wee, it's like a wee comma. And um, a tittle uh, was just an ornamentation, like the, t- the cross that you put in the tea. He says, not one of those things will pass away. That means that as the word of God was written, it is the infallible word of God. Something else we might struggle with, and that's the importance of the Bible as an authority. We think of verse 5 there that we read, how Eve, how the devil wanted to impugn the authority of the word of God. He said, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, going, knowing good and evil. In other words, he's saying, don't listen to God. Don't listen to God, because God doesn't have your best interests at heart. And there he is undermining the authority. He's really saying, don't live by what God has said. Live by what I am saying. Live by what is best for you. Live by what you want to do. That's his doctrine. And we think of the many subtle ways in which the devil comes to undermine the authority of the Word of God. We think of uh, those who, for example, want to avoid controversial subjects. Well, we, we will not speak about um, homosexuality. We'll not speak about abortion. We'll not speak about the place of men and women or the difference between men and women because all of those um, uh, things are controversial and we don't want to create a row. Well, really what you're doing then is avoiding the authority of God's precious word because if we don't apply God's word, if we don't apply the standards of God's word, then what will happen is that people will take their authority from what the world says. And really we have undermined the authority of God's word in the end. Another subtle way in which the authority of God's word is undermined is by what I call proud ignorance. You know, people say, oh, well, I'm just a simple Christian and I don't understand these things. You see, what you're doing there, maybe... It is on a hard topic or a hard doctrine. And, oh, I'm just a simple Christian. I don't understand these things. And you hear people saying that. 
Now, if you were to go uh, the wrong way round the roundabout when you're going home, and you said, well, I, I have an ignorance of the highway code, and the policeman stops you on the roundabout as you're going round, would you be able to say, oh, I'm just a simple motorist. I don't understand these things. You see, you're undermining the authority. As God's people, if God's, it is God's word, then we have a responsibility to understand what it says. And we have a, a responsibility to know what God has said in his word. And yet there are so many people who come and say, oh, I'm just a simple Christian. Or the other thing that people say is, let's agree to disagree. Let's agree to disagree. David, a man by the name of David Gushy, argues that homosexual marriage should be placed among the things that we agree to disagree on. And you see, that's an undermining of the authority of God's word. You see, when we begin to uh, agree to disagree, uh, people begin to de- agree to disagree with so many things. Now, there are things that are periphery. There are things that we can agree to disagree on. But we need to remember that in the end, there's only one truth. There's only one truth. And we need to discern what the truth of God is. Because that's the next thing that we can have problems with the interpretation of the Bible. Now, maybe people say, oh, there's so many opinions. There, there are so, and you know the people say that, well, um, people can bring anything out of the Bible. Uh, and you can teach anything by quoting the Bible. And that's actually true. You can do that by taking it out of context. By twisting it. You see the way that the devil twisted the word of God here and began to add to it and take from it and uh, take it out of its context. And you can see the way that it is done. And there are people who can quote the Bible for almost anything. But you see, we it's like somebody that is in a court case. And you know that you get the jury and there's a jury of people and they're different people and they hear the same case. And maybe they have different points of view upon whether the person's guilty or not. And that's certainly right. But you know, at the end of the day, there's only one truth. Something really happened. If it was a murder case, somebody killed the person and it, it happened and there was something that happened, what we need to do is discern the truth. What we need to, and there are different interpretations, but we need to find out what the truth is. And there is one truth. There is one doctrine that is really true. And we think of, for example, how we need to take the context of what the Bible has to say. We've got to read it in the context. And we have to study We need to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. And interpretation and hermeneutics is a broad subject and we can't get into it today. But you think of the passages that are plainly uh, pictorial. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Does God have wings? No, he doesn't. It just speaks about how in the temple 
the cherubim had the wings spread over the uh, place where God's glory came down. And hiding under the shadow of God's wings is just a picture of God like a mother hen bringing us under the shadow of his wings. doesn't mean that God has wings or anything like that. However, for example, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. That's plainly historical. That's plainly factual. And what is crucial, crucial to remember is what the authors of the Westminster Confession said. They said the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not manifold by one, it may be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. In other words, if you have a portion of Scripture that's hard to understand, go to the portions of Scripture that speak on the same subject that are easier to understand, and then apply what you have learned from the easier passages to the harder passages. Now, we'll not understand everything in the Bible. That doesn't mean that we can't understand anything about it. People just dismiss the Bible. Oh, well, the Bible, people can bring anything out of it. Let me tell you what the Westminster Confession says again. All things in the Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some places of Scripture or other that none, not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So God has made clear what we need to know. He has made it clear what we need to know. So you might struggle with that. One more thing, very briefly, and give me the time to do it, and that's the implementation of the Word. I think that's the biggest problem. Be obedient to the Word. We, we can read the Word, and uh, we can study the Word, but we need to put it into practice. And in many ways, that's the most vital thing of all. It needs to be put into practice. And there are many of God's people, and maybe they have their own beliefs and thoughts, and they're influenced by the world, and they come to the Word of God, and the uh, Word of God clashes with what they think or what they believe. And, well, they just dismiss the Word of God and go on and sail on in the way that they're going. Whether that's, I don't know, about all sorts of things we could say um, in, in different aspects of different people's lives. But we have to put the Word of God into practice. The most vital thing is that we are willing to obey God's precious word. Thy word, said the psalmist, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Going contrary to God's word is sin. Disobeying God's word is sin. So we need to hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. May God enable us to... Uh, Take the word of God and apply it to our hearts in these days. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. 
our loving God and our gracious Father. We thank Thee for the word that we have. We thank Thee for God's truth. And we thank Thee that it is truth, and it is authoritative, and it is the very word of God. And we pray that we might in every way seek to apply the word of God to our hearts. Bless us now, we'd ask of thee, and we pray that thou would speak on, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Maybe we'll sing a couple of um, verses of that uh, closing hymn, the hymn 190. Hungry Lord, for thy, for the, thy word of truth, sitting at my Saviour's feet, rising, gleaning just like Ruth, feed me on the finest of the wheat. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn. feed us in these days. We pray that we might indeed be fed on the finest of the wheat. Bless us now. Take us to homes in safety. Watch over us throughout the rest of the day and bless tonight around thy word. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. <laughs>